Have you ever thought about how valuable it would be to get career advice from a top executive? Have you ever wondered what management really thinks about diversity? Join us as our C-suite guest shares with our Latino community their unique insights on professional development and diverse leadership. Welcome to C-Suite, the show that combines surprising leadership insights with a focus on diversity. I'm Joe Kwan, the Connection Counselor and Vice President of Board Development for Alpha New Jersey. Today, we have a distinguished guest, Tanya Robinson. Tanya serves as Vice Chair and General Counsel, Legal, Regulatory, and Compliance at KPMG LLP, is a member of the firm's management committee, and serves as the secretary to KPMG's board of directors. Before joining KPMG in 2017, Tanya served as the acting general counsel at the U.S. Department of Housing and Urban Development, overseeing nearly 600 professionals. Prior to her federal agency service, Tanya was special assistant to President Obama for justice and regulatory policy at the White House. Prior to her service at the White House, Tanya was a partner at the law firm Wilmer Hale, where she worked on a range of litigation matters, including the groundbreaking University of Michigan affirmative action cases. She left Wilmer to work as counsel to then Senator Joseph Biden on the US Senate Judiciary Committee on Crime and Drugs. Among her community and philanthropic activities, Tanya serves on the board of directors for the National Women's Law Center. Tanya holds a BA in public policy studies and a certificate in women's studies from Duke University, a postgraduate degree in African studies from the University of Cape Town, and has a Juris Doctorate from Harvard Law. Welcome, Tanya. In this exact moment, what are you feeling and what is creating this feeling? Oh, well, uh, well, one, thanks for having me, Joe. Really appreciate it. And I, I say um, I am feeling uh, shockingly, surprisingly relaxed in this moment. <laughs> uh, having had a, a busy, hectic morning, uh, it, it's just nice to be with a friend and to kind of be in conversation. So um, uh, relaxed, uh, uh, having just exhaled, um, all of that describes kind of... Uh, how I'm coming into this <laughs> into this conversation. So I'm feeling really comfortable, thanks to you. Well, that makes me feel uh, wonderful. So really looking forward to this conversation. Um, we were talking a little bit before, and you know, each time we talk, I, I'm I'm pleasantly surprised to learn a little bit more about your backstory. But maybe for folks uh, who don't know you or starting to get to know you, uh, would love for you to share a little bit about your upbringing and how it informs your perspective and who you are today. Oh, sure. Um, well, I um, I am a child of the South, Joe. I, I grew up in in North Carolina, um, mostly in the Piedmont part of the state in Durham, North Carolina, but was born uh, in the eastern part of the state in a, a rural uh, county called Halifax County, kind of in eastern eastern North Carolina. And uh, that is relevant uh, to who I am today, in part because. Uh, my roots in that farming community uh, really uh, form out uh, all that you really need to know about me, what's important to me, what my values are, uh, what the expectations of me have been, uh, really all started in one of those two North Carolina communities, this idea that, that family is so, so important, uh, that I'm standing on the shoulders of folks who uh, uh, 
struggled a bit, uh, but uh, uh, really poured everything into the next generation. Um, the uh, the sense that I kind of bring into most days where you just want to make the family and those who kind of enable your success proud. Um, all of that really kind of drives uh, my my current day ambition. It's born out of, kind of those those North Carolina roots. So I um, so grew up in North Carolina. I did not go far for college. Um, all of across town uh, when I matriculated at at Duke, uh, and then was kind of on a on a, a path that that. Uh, led me ultimately to, to law in the legal profession. And, and I, I haven't looked back. It's been a real uh, joy to be able to practice law, uh, kind of doing good, uh, good work in the sense of uh, intellectually stimulating work, but doing good work as in uh, uh, good for the world, good deeds and, and with good people. So it's, it's, it's hard to find a better, a better combination from my perspective. So that's really interesting what you mentioned about kind of the family values and and the community. And, and that's something that's, you know, near and dear to me as well. And just curious, um, I know from your CV, you um, didn't stay uh, in North Carolina. So you've had other sort of city stops along the way. How did you sort of find that sense of community and family as you transitioned from, you know, different areas, which can often be quite different from what you're used to growing up? Yeah, well, you know, honestly, Joe, I, I assume that I would be, in North Carolina right now. Uh, that was what I, I saw for myself, practicing law in North Carolina. And wow. I think I may have been either uh, well into my college years, maybe even at uh, probably well into my law school years when it occurred to me that there might be a different a different path for me. And that path has uh, been uh, Cape Town, South Africa. Uh, I think you had mentioned that in the, in the introduction, Washington, DC. Uh, Cambridge, Massachusetts, uh, Baltimore, Maryland, uh, and right now I'm I'm sitting outside of Washington D.C. Uh, in Maryland, but spent a whole lot of time uh, in New York and Florida. And so, mm -hmm. uh, those those other city experiences in each place. You're right. Uh, I have managed to find community, um, although I don't know that it was uh, intentional, mindful effort uh, to find community. It was being kind of open to uh, new people and new experiences, um, but always being grounded in that which was core to me. Uh, and so being really clear uh, before going to law school on uh, what was kind of foundational for me, what was my North Star. And when you kind of have that set of uh, core values, kind of the sense of what's important to you, wherever you are, uh, that that follows you and you tend to uh, find people or they find you who share that that worldview, um, but importantly, still being open to those things that aren't familiar. So I've found community, but in each stop uh, have been able to learn something new, experience something new, um, just much smarter uh, and better in the world, um, not just for kind of clinging to the familiar, but being open to and exposed to kind of new ways of thinking, new ways of working. Yeah, well, one area that um, I learned about you where you were open is uh, your scholarship and studies in Cape Town. I mean, just oh, to yes, yes. study in another country and, and to live there. Would love to hear a little bit more about how that experience was, how it sort of shaped your perspective, because not everyone would just say, hey, I'm going to study in Africa for a year. I mean, that is yeah. very open. 
Yeah, yeah. Well, I was I was aided um, having spent the summer before, and this is where um, uh, having an experience that was very grounded in my North Carolina community, um, but mm-hmm. going to a college where um, the just expansiveness of possibility was opened up to me in a different way, and that included being able to take advantage of summer study abroad programs. And so uh, about a year and a half before I went to Cape Town, South Africa, I'd spent a summer in Zimbabwe and Botswana, both in Southern Africa, uh, through a program with classmates and a professor, which uh, opened up that part of the world for me. So when I ultimately decided to go to South Africa as a graduate student, uh, it was a big step for me, but not as big as it otherwise would have been, given that I had had that uh, intermediate opportunity uh, as well. And what a time to be in South Africa. Um, if you are a, a student of or just have a passing interest in politics, uh, if uh, uh, the uh, historic civil rights experience in America uh, means something uh, to you. Uh, if, if you're an African-American woman, kind of making all those pieces, which were a part of my stock stories, uh, made uh, South Africa in 1992, 1993, uh, really um, profound uh, and, and pivotal experience for me. It was the moment for someone with my interests, uh, my life experience to be there. It was after Nelson Mandela had been released uh, from Robin, from prison uh, and was in the middle of the first democratic election where he was running for, for president, had not yet been elected president, but was running for president. Uh, I was a student on an integrated campus in Cape Town and uh, student at the University of Cape Town, but really student of the country. Um, I mean, the, the, the day-to-day experience, the interacting with other students uh, in our, our dormitories. Uh, the country was my classroom, uh, and it was just thrilling uh, in every way. Exhausting as well. By the time I got to the end of the experience, I will confess uh, having been really eager to come home. <laughs> uh, <laughs> eager to come home, though I think in part because it had been such a full year, uh, and full year of every moment being a new experience, every moment being on and engaged and not wanting to miss anything. Uh, and so, and so I, I felt really good about uh, not just the academic program, but really having explored uh, people, culture, uh, the land. Uh, and and uh, when I came back, uh, was uh, was exhausted, but also appreciative of the experience and what was in front of me. So your, your question around, so then how, how did, how did it change you? It really changed me in every, every way, uh, kind of, how I thought, uh, what I thought I'd do in terms of my my professional life going forward, what I was open to, uh, how grateful I was for my U.S. experience, how um, committed and obligated I felt to do do good. Uh, uh, that that really kind of was magnified uh, for me after the after the experience in Cape Town. Yeah, I mean. Um... We have a son, Lucas, who's 14, and I hope he gets the chance or chooses to travel as well. Because, mm-hmm. you know, for me, it's similarly, you know, not not as momentous as being in South Africa during that time. But just traveling abroad has opened me up to a lot of perspectives. Like I oh, thought God. everyone saw the world the way I did growing up at a certain point in America with a certain, you know, worldview. And then you meet other people and they're like, 
they say stuff and you're like, wait a second, that's not the way I see the world. And it's yeah. really opens your eyes. Wait a second. There's not just one worldview. Yeah. Yeah. Which is, um, which is really interesting. I mean, I, I'd be curious about your experience, Joe, because it, it, it was such a two way street for me. So it mm -hmm. totally opened my eyes to different worldview, different perspectives uh, in, a, in a way that's different from your U.S. domestic experience. So we may have folks who have different belief systems. Um, that played itself out very differently when you're outside of our borders. But it was also really important uh, that that uh, those who I was encountering was seeing a, a different, uh, getting a different experience with the U.S. and, and with an American as well. So uh, showing up uh, as a uh, uh, young person from uh, the American South or as an African-American woman, or as a, you fill in the blank of just how uh, rich American culture is. Uh, mm -hmm. And uh, me learning a lot from the folks who I was engaging with, but them also taking in a different sort of American experience by virtue of having, you know, interface with me. So um, I, does that resonate with your experience at all? I'm yeah, sure. I mean, I, I got a lot of, um, you know, without getting into details, I got a lot of like, why does America do this? Oh, sure. Why yeah. does America do that? Like, yeah. like I'm the ambassador or something. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> but you know, it was just the tone of it, you know, was, was very different. Like you don't hear that from Americans. Like we're just doing it because we're America. Right. But to people from other countries they're they don't understand. They're like, what, what's going on here? And I didn't have any particularly good answers, but it was yeah. just very eye-opening to think like, wait a second, you know, people have different views of our country based mm -hmm. on where they grew up and and how they see the world yeah yeah no no that i that that really resonates yeah well i'm curious you know we're we're talking about the formative sort of years of tanya robinson and um curious was there a moment where you realized that you were meant to be more either in your youth or maybe towards your adult where you realize, you know what, I'm actually meant to really do something here. Was there a singular moment or was there just a general theme throughout your life? And where did that come from? Yeah. So I honestly, Joe, I don't know that there was a single moment. Um, there may have been a single moment where I reclaimed that, uh, early view expectation uh, that uh, you are supposed to do more, you are supposed to be more. Um, and, and maybe the the moment of reclamation is <laughs> as important as kind of when you when you got it to, to start. Um, I don't remember there being a time where I didn't feel as if uh, being John Clarence's granddaughter or Moselle Robinson's daughter wasn't something pretty special. Uh, and it wasn't because we had uh, lots of resources, um, but but I always felt that it was it was something uh, important to be a Robinson, uh, and I carried that with me uh, in our little farming community. Or when I go to school, uh, uh, really, and it's it's interesting because I felt that way against the uh, backdrop of a, a narrative that others looking in may have had a different view. So I, I you know. Farming family, farming community, uh, uh, only child of a single mother. So we we had the uh, markings of disadvantage, um, but yet I sat in that experience and thought, uh, "Don't you want to be me?" <laughs> so so I I had that that measure of confidence. I think there were certainly moments during 
uh, my grade school years or high school where I could see that there were, were others that had some measure of advantage uh, that I didn't have, but uh, from the start, really a great source of pride in my own personal and family story, um, uh, which, which makes the reclamation story interesting, at least from where I sit in that uh, you, you go through life and something happens uh, where your feelings of you need to uh, prove yourself or you, 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 you doubt whether or not uh, you, you have what it takes to get that prize or you have uncertainty about uh, you know what, what's on the other side of this for you. And so I, I certainly remember uh, being in experiences and looking to my left and right and trying to figure out what, what makes me special in this moment. And that was in stark contrast to the kid who thought, lucky me, uh, and figuring out in that moment so how do you keep your eye on the prize and know uh, that there is uh, so much more in store? Uh, or how do you uh, uh, how do you claim for yourself something uh, other than uh, a realistic ambition? Uh, I mean that that is uh, moving through that. I think is momentous and. Uh, there are all kinds of uh, tools that one may have in order to enable that, uh, including having the right sort of community around you, the right sort of allies, family, friends, uh, who see you as a rock star, uh, even in those moments when you're when you may be doubting your stardom. Wow, there is so much in there, Tanya, and um, you know your response makes me equal parts inspired and equal parts a little sad. And, and let oh, me explain why. It, yeah. Inspired because, you know, you have achieved a tremendous amount. And I will say against a lot of odds being stacked against you in, in the society and the world we live in. And what makes me sad is there are plenty of other youth and kids oh. who similar to you have that unlimited potential, mm -hmm. right? But, mm -hmm. and they are going to face odds, but they may not be able to get through it. And sometimes the opposition may shut people down. Uh, yeah. And we lose out as a society, right? Like there are people mm -hmm. who can create and, and bring beautiful things to the world, but because of society or the way people view them, they may not, it may be more difficult for them to produce. Oh, sure. mm -hmm. And it makes me sad because we lose out as a company, as yeah. teams, as a society, when people aren't allowed to flourish and thrive to their fullest. Yeah, yeah. I it's so smart of you, Joe, to just uh situate that in like societal law. So it's not just uh the harm that we've done to the individual, which is uh, important and um concerning all by itself, but like all the rest of us lose out <laughs> as well. Uh which which I it's just such a really kind of powerful observation. Thank you for that. Yeah. Well, um, lots of our alpha audience who are uh, on, who are in the audience, um, they're definitely um, striving and, and working to fulfill their potential and would love to hear from someone with your experience uh, in various, you know, private practice, government, uh, you know, accounting, big four accounting. What do a lot of people get wrong about how to succeed? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Well, you know, it's, it's interesting. Um, there, there are a couple items that come to mind, Joe. One of them, and I'm, I'm just lingering on your uh, the way in which you've 
uh, frame the question, which uh, some might say assumes that that there is uh, a way to get it right. Uh, and uh, and so one item that I would highlight is this notion that there are uh, so many paths uh, to success uh, and uh, you can get to success on so many different timelines. And uh, for me, uh, the road has not been a straight one. It, it, it's been uh, winding in almost every way. And each uh, each turn in that winding road has been so essential to me being able to show up, for example, my current role and mm-hmm. uh, add value, uh, thrive. Uh, the, the, um, the, the bumpiness, the navigating the curves, the going off the, you know, the, the, the um, detours, or at least what some might view as detours, all of that has been a part of my story um, that uh, has, has made me, I think, a much better professional, uh, a, certainly a much better colleague, and I think a much better leader uh, as well. And so embracing uh, uh that nonlinear part of your experience uh, and living the experience. Uh, you don't have to go to from uh, point A to point Z at 100 miles per hour. Um, you can stop along the way. You can uh, pause and figure out what's really important to you. Uh, you can, you know, make a detour and know. And I, I I appreciate that this may be heresy in some circles, but. For me, I am appreciating more and more, especially when I look back, um, the uh, the journey. And I I'd say, boy, I should have valued that and known that the journey was important, as important as where I was going to land uh, uh, way back when, when I was trying to navigate the navigate the curve. So that would definitely be one one element of it for sure. Um, maybe the, the related point, Joe, is is the uh, I was having a conversation earlier today, in fact, uh, with uh, a group of folks where I made the point uh, that I, I just waited too long. And it while it came fairly early in my career, it wasn't soon enough where I just um, appreciated uh, that everything that someone might des- describe as, as, as my difference, um, that, that was really... Uh, so powerful for me in the in the workplace. So I I showed up. I remember being a young attorney and working really really hard to mm-hmm. be like everyone else around me. I looked mm-hmm. to my left and looked to my right, and my challenge was to how do I mimic that uh, as opposed to um, how do I lean hard into who I am, uh, including uh, my difference. That that set of stock stories that we talked about earlier uh, and see that difference is really the thing that was going to differentiate me in the most compelling, uh, most uh, positive, most powerful way in the, in the, in the workforce. And when I, when I got that, and again, it, it wasn't immediate, but when I got that, boy, did it unlock a different level of uh, power uh, for me. Uh, it, it, it gave me license really to just stop worrying about being like everyone else and uh, really focus on honing my craft, uh, becoming a better technically competent lawyer, helping my clients look around. I showed up in a different way as a colleague, in a different way in terms of servicing clients. uh, And it all was born out of just uh, focusing on being uh, relentlessly me (laughs) and 
as it turned out, that was really good for me uh, professionally and really good for the, the folks who were around me and the clients who I was supporting. Yeah. Well, what I love about this conversation, Tanya, and um, I don't think anyone would ever question your technical uh, abilities, um, but a lot of what you're describing that has been foundational for you and part of your success lies beneath that, right? Mm-hmm. It's it, it's your belief in yourself. It's how you view, how you show up, you know, like that's not a technical thing, right? Like that yeah. is something that's inside you that you bring, which a lot of people may not bring, right? It may be easier or they may be fearful and they just want to assimilate and they just want to fit in and they end up losing sort of the best part of themselves by doing mm-hmm, that. Mm-hmm. No, I, I think you're right. I mean, it's, um, I, mean, I, 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 I do think, uh, and it's, it's certainly true, uh, in the, the lawyering profession or in the professional services sector, um, there's something to be said about just spending time, uh, learning, honing your craft. Uh, and, and so confidence, excellence is an important thing. But I think you're right, Joe, that, um, if your play is a, a leadership play, uh, that's kind of table stakes. And a lot of folks uh, uh, come to the table uh, being excellent, uh, you know, doing a good job. Uh, for me, what really makes the, the difference, kind of the differentiating factor is this broader set of, um, and I won't say soft skills, because I don't think there's really anything soft about it, but this, you know, broader set of uh uh, experiences, um, skills for sure, sensitivities, um, way of working, um, way of interacting with your, mm-hmm. all of that, I think is so much more important. Uh, and it's the thing that has um, kind of turbocharged, at least my, the, the, the moment that I got comfortable with those things being not um, subordinate skills or uh, the things that one could do, but really wouldn't have. Once I realized that those were as important as me being a, a, a technically competent lawyer, uh, that made all the difference, uh, all the difference in the world for me. 100%. Well, just to show our audience that we like to keep it real uh, on C-suite, <laughs> I'm going to ask you, what is one challenge that you still face today that, you know, people may not realize or, or think that, you know, oh, Tanya, you know, grapples or struggles with this? Yeah, so um, well, well, one item that uh, you know, I'll, I'll call out. I think it's just so important. This idea of um, and I don't know how do you um, is it uh, raise your hands? I mean, it goes by so many names in the world. Speak up, um, and. I won't say that the, it's a concept that I struggle with because I like coach people on the value mm-hmm. of that. Um, but wherever you sit, uh, it, it still requires uh, one uh, vigilance just in terms of thinking through how important that is and, and mm-hmm. figuring out, so how do you execute against that really important thing in this different sort of environment? So it was important when I was a junior attorney sitting in my law firm and trying to uh, uh, get an idea around how we were going to litigate a case. Uh, it was important in my government experience, kind of being the one in the room as we're trying to figure out what's the right policy direction around a big issue. And it's important in my current executive uh, vice chair role within the firm where I have responsibility for ethics, compliance, the uh, legal function within the within the organization. So the fact that I've 
matured of a profession, I'm sitting in a more senior circle, doesn't change the fact that I'm constantly trying to think about how do you activate that important uh, responsibility of being a citizen in a big organization uh, where it's so important that folks have uh, need everyone creating their ideas, uh, offering value, um, saying something if you see something doesn't feel quite right, um, speaking up. Uh, and that uh, the, the importance of it, uh, the uh, vigilance we need to bring around it, uh, the difficulty that one can experience in trying to do it, that that is real. Um, wherever you are in terms of your career seniority or wherever you're sitting uh, in terms of organization, uh, it's something that one has to kind of continue to be really mindful of. And I'm, I'm even now honing that skill. How do you do it in a way where people can hear you uh, and where you can really be uh, impactful? I love that. I love that. It never stops. <laughs> yeah, it never stops. <laughs> it never so, stops. <laughs> so uh, we're going to move to uh, a section of the podcast called The Shout Out, where I ask uh, our guest to uh, talk a little bit about someone else, uh, a leader who is passionate about diversity that you'd like to shout out. Oh, sure. Um, gosh, that that's a long list, Joe. Um, but I'm I'm going to... Uh, I'm going to shout out someone who's not in our immediate universe, but I was in connection with her recently, uh, and she's doing such great uh, DEI-related work in her sphere. Um, Manya Bunch uh, is leading diversity efforts at a law firm where I used to be that supports my current company. She moved from uh, kind of her uh, practicing law legal professions had such a rich experience in between. And now she's like pouring all of that uh, experience, energy and passion back into uh, ensuring that in her environment, uh, the firm is focused on recruiting diverse professionals and that they have an opportunity to uh, get to that firm, thrive at that firm, uh, really do do big things uh, in, that, in that space. And so I, I shout out Manya because for me, she represents um, all of us, you know, wherever you're sitting, there's a role that we can play uh, to enable a DEI agenda. Uh, and the way I see it show up uh, when someone like Manya is activating it, or even in a workplace like where I am now, uh, there's the, the hard work of DEI, and then there are the immense benefits that redound to the organization if you get that right. Uh, yeah. And mine is someone who I, I think sees both possibilities. Wow, it's very, very exciting, very exciting. Thank you for mentioning her. Yeah. So uh, it's been such a pleasure talking with you today, Tanya. And uh, for those who are listening, how can they learn more about you and the organizations you support? Oh, um, gosh, what a, what a wonderful opportunity, Joe. Thank you for asking me that question. <laughs> well, about, well, I'd say I am always eager to connect with folks. I'm, I am not super social media savvy, but I'm trying. Uh, <laughs> so I, I'd say, really, I invite folks to find me on LinkedIn, and I'm, I'm eager to be connected in that virtual space. Uh, and I'm really trying to think about that in a bit more uh, constructive way, including talking about trust and ethics and integrity and uh, the power of DEI in that sort of that sort of forum. So, would really encourage folks to to reach out there for sure. Well, thank you, Tanya, for being our guest on C Suite. Thank you for having me. Uh, 
Thank you for listening to C-Suite. Alpha's purpose is connecting Latino leaders for impact. To learn more, go to alpha.org. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave a review or share with a trusted friend or colleague. Remember, with the right perspective, amazing things can happen.